0: verse by verse. So this morning we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5. But rather than reading the text, I want us to read a little bit of background, and then we're going to turn to Ephesians, but I'll let you sit down while I read that. But I want you to stand with me. I'm confusing y'all. We're going to read Acts. You guys are thinking you're a bunch of Catholics this morning. (laughs) All right, Um, the Book of Acts, chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 18 and 19, and then look at a section at the end of that chapter because this is this is some background that I just want you to have this morning to understand. Who the Ephesians were and what they came out of, and how God gloriously transformed them by the power of the gospel. So this is a testimony of the Ephesians before they came to Christ, or as they were coming to Christ. Now, Paul stayed in the city of Ephesus for almost three years. He taught in the synagogue, and then he was expelled from the synagogue, and then he went to the school of Tyranius, and he taught there for two years people were coming to him every day, having Bible discussions, and from there, the gospel just started to saturate all of Asia Minor, all of modern-day Turkey, as a result of the work and the ministry at the city of Ephesus. And I know that we're looking at our culture today, and we're wondering what impact can the church have in 21st century America? And we look at the obstacles that we're facing, and they're nothing compared to what the Christians faced in the first century. And if the light of the glory of the gospel was able to penetrate all of Asia in that dark, dark culture, I've got to believe that the same gospel, the same Holy Spirit, the same church of Jesus Christ is able to impact northern Utah today. So let's just see what God did in this city Acts nineteen, eighteen, And many who had believed. The tense is the perfect tense. They had believed and they continued to believe and they continued to follow Christ as a lifestyle. And many, who were the many? They had believed and continued to believe. Came, and how did they came? How did they come? They came confessing and telling their deeds. The word to confess here is a three-part word. Ek is a preposition. Out of their mouth, they agreed with God. They said, God, this is what we are doing. We're agreeing with you, and we are turning from it. And now we are exposing it to the world, and we are turning our back on it. Verse 19, also many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of them all, and they continued and counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And as a result, the word of the Lord grew and multiplied and prevailed. That's our commission today. May the word of God prevail. Let's look at verses 25-25. 28. This is Demetrius. He's upset because these men are transforming Asia. They were accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And Demetrius is so upset because the power of the gospel is taking people out of the kingdom of darkness and the gospel is translating people into the kingdom of the dear son of God. And verse 25 says, he called together the workers of the similar occupation. He said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Boy, when you start hurting the money, people are going to start talking. We have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul persuades. What does Paul do? He persuades. There's a pernicious doctrine going around today that says that we should not persuade. That we are playing the role of the Holy Spirit. All we should do is give the gospel. We're not to invite people to come to Christ. We're not to persuade people to come to Christ. We're not to plead with people to repent and trust Jesus. That is not a biblical doctrine. Paul persuaded people. He persuaded. And this Paul has been persuading people. And he's been turning away many people saying that there are not God's which are made with hands. Hallelujah. So not only this, our trade is in danger of falling in disrepute, but also the temple of our great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed from all whom Asia and the world worship. May that happen in our culture. May the pagan temples in Utah and may the pagan shrines be destroyed and may the gospel prevail. I believe God's doing it. I believe God is stirring a spirit In America right now, that people are standing up and saying, I want to be counted. I name the name of Jesus, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Father, God, we have been given a commission to be light bearers. We are to penetrate the darkness. We are to expose sin. And we are to call people to wake up and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That is your commission, and that is the purpose for North Valley Bible Church. I pray today as we go through the book of Ephesians that you'll help us to understand our calling, help us to understand our privilege, and help us to understand the purpose of the light that you've given us. And may we use it for your kingdom's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you to be seated now. All right, you can turn over to Ephesians now, if you'd like, and follow along in the reading. So we're in Ephesians chapter five, verses seven through fourteen this morning, and I'm just going to read them these passages, and then we'll we'll see how they fit within this chapter, how they fit within the paragraph, and what God is doing with the Ephesian believers. So we've been talking, we've been discussing the worthy walk of a believer. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is primarily doctrine. He's telling how God, in eternity past, had a plan to choose people out of the world and to collect them in the body of Christ, which is the church. This is nothing new. This plan was revealed to the holy apostles and prophets. It wasn't known in dispensations in the Old Testament. The Jewish people didn't understand that there was going to be a Gentile incorporation that they would be fellow sharers of the promises that God had given Israel, that they would be joint heirs in the inheritance, and that all the covenants that God had made with Israel were meant not only for them but for the Gentile church as well. There was a middle separation in their worship centers where Jew and Gentile were were not allowed to worship together, and God, through the name of Jesus and through the gospel, has torn down those barriers. He's made us all one. He's made us fellow shares of the gospel. He's made us fellow saints. And he's given us all one access to God by the one Holy Spirit. There's only one faith, one baptism, one God, one Lord, one Savior who's in all through all and above all. And so Paul is laying all of this out. Now he says, now, what God has done for you, you need to preserve it. And you need to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. You were once darkness. You were once alienated. You were once strangers. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been made near and now walk in a manner that's worthy of what Christ has called you to do. And so we've been looking at this worthy walk. And today we're going to look at another part of this walk, thats living out our life worthy of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in our life. And this passage talks about being a light bearer. One of the things that we do as a Follower of Jesus, we are to bear the light of the gospel to a lost and dark world. And so Paul, in this passage, explains what it means to be a light bearer and how we are supposed to do it. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start with verse 7 just to link it together with the previous paragraph. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit. Now, many of your translations probably say the fruit of light. Um, There's a textual variance there, and some of your Bibles may have a footnote there and say other manuscripts say light, some say spirit. I am not a textual critic, but I did a little bit of research this week, and I think that the King James translation, the New King James is following the word that Paul used and i believe that because of one particular manuscript it's called P46 it is the oldest manuscript that we have of the book of ephesians and not that it makes any theological difference not that it makes any significance but it's the same idea the fruit that light produces the fruit that the spirit produces is in all goodness righteousness and truth And what does it do? It's finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I want you to note in this little verse that Paul quotes is probably from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. The reference, the context of that quote is taking the gospel to the Gentiles, that all the Gentiles were to be a part and to be incorporated into the kingdom of heaven. Notice that he's talking to people who are dead And so God does not first regenerate dead people so that they might believe. No, it's just the other way around. He asks us to come to Christ first, and then he gives us light, and then he raises us from the dead. That's important to note that because a lot of theology will make a difference to the way we approach giving the gospel to people. So let's just go verse by verse and see what it means to be a light bearer. The first thing I want to talk about is the privilege of bearing light. The privilege of bearing light. So we saw the power of the light in the book of Acts, didn't we? People were leaving. They were confessing. They were leaving these shameful works of darkness. The light of the gospel was exposing. It was bringing to, to their knowledge the understanding of who God is. He is creator. He's Lord of all. He is sovereign king. And people were in mass exodus leaving the temples, leaving the worship of Artemis or Diana, whichever you want to call. And they were following Jesus. And so this passage starts out by saying that, therefore, don't be partakers with them. The cultural reference here for the people at Ephesus, they understood exactly what that means. And we today, I think we understand exactly what that means. No longer be a partaker with them. The passage right before talks about what it meant to be a partaker. Our language, our jesting, our, our sexuality, all of those things. We are no longer partakers with them. We have left all those things. The glorious light of the gospel has come to us We are transformed. We are new people in Christ. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is a new position. We are light. And notice that little phrase, in the Lord. You are the light of the world. Do you believe that this morning? You need to say yes. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. Jesus himself said that. He is our authority, and if Jesus says it, we believe it. That doesn't mean I brag on myself. It doesn't mean I brag on what a wonderful light bearer I am. It means I brag on Jesus Christ because of what he has done and because of the power of his light to shine in and through us. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Look at how he says that. He says, you were once. The King James says, You were some time. This is done. It's over. It's gone. It's past. We are new creations in Christ, and we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. That's what God calls you and I. This is exciting. This is encouraging. Some of the last couple of messages have been kind of beating us down a little bit. But Paul right here tells us we are now light in Christ, all because of him, not because of us, we are light in Christ, that's our new position, how did that happen, the book of Colossians tells us how, in Colossians 1 he has made us meet, the old King James, he has qualified us, you have met the qualifying standard, you know what the qualifying standard is, it's perfection, it's perfection, And in Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians goes on to say that you are complete in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus has made you qualified. You are perfect in Christ. You need nothing added to that. Every false religion says Christ is not sufficient. Christ plus this, Christ plus sacraments, Christ plus baptism, or plus anything means that you've missed the gospel. You are made qualified. You are meet in Christ because he is the one who qualifies us. He gives us his righteousness, which is perfect righteousness, and we are clothed in his robes alone. You once were darkness, but now you have been translated into the kingdom of our dear son. Our new position is made possible by our union in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look how he stated this as a fact. But now, you once were, but now this is who you are. Now, it implies a responsibility, doesn't it? If you have been given light, and you are the light of the world, you are complete in Christ, there's some responsibilities that come along with that, isn't there? So what is the responsibility? It's an imperative command that follows it. Walk. It's a command. It's the imperative mood. That means it's a command from His will to our will. This is a volitional act of submission. I make the active choice by the power of Christ to live in me that I'm going to walk as a child of light because that's who I am. Now, last Sunday, I was talking to Brother Ron Thompson. I said, boy, I felt bad at the end of the sermon. I was you know, just telling people that they were supposed to be imitators of God and what an impossible chore that is. I forgot to encourage them that you have the mind of Christ. The Bible never gives us a command that he doesn't also equip us to do it. To be an imitator of Christ because you and I can put on the new man who has been renewed in the knowledge of the image of him who created him in righteousness and true holiness. That's how I'm an imitator of Christ. I can walk as a child of light because Christ is the light of the world, John 8, 12. And he who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am following the light of the world. You are following the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And now there's a responsibility to walk in that light, to live a life consistently with the exposure of God's word and all who Jesus Christ is. Walk as children of light. There's a new commission. Live out the character who you now are. This is what Jesus said in the Gospels. Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? And here is why. For there is nothing hidden which shall not be made manifest, neither was there anything kept secret that it should come abroad. If any man's got an ear to hear, let him hear what Christ is saying this morning. Christ has given you a light. He's given us a light as a church, and that light is to expose. Expose what is hidden. Expose what is secret to diminish darkness. That is our responsibility. We are God's people. This is our new position, and this is our responsibility. Let's go to verse 9. Now, how does this happen? It happens naturally when we submit to Jesus. It's not something that I have to work up in my flesh. It's not something that I have to study. It's not something that I do academically. It's something that I do by surrendering myself and saying, I am going to submit to this command to walk as a child of light. I am surrendering my life to you today, Jesus, for you to live your life through me. It happens naturally. We don't produce fruit in our flesh. We produce fruit by the Spirit of Christ. By the light of Jesus, because the fruit, look at verse 9, for the fruit of the light or the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what the light produces. That's what Christ produces through us, through us indwelling us by the Holy Spirit. This happens naturally. Yield yourself to what God has already done and what God says you are. I'm surrendered to who you say I am today, Lord. I am a child of light. I'm going to walk as a child of light. You have taken me out of the exousia, the authority, the realm, the power that Satan had me dominion, had dominion over me. You have transferred me. You have translated me into a new kingdom. That's who I am. And Lord Jesus, I am submitting myself to you, and your spirit is going to produce these things in my life. Goodness, this is the virtue of an upright heart. There's no malice. There's no guile. It's the attribute of caring for others with gentleness and extreme generosity. That's what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart. You've got to submit to that and say, I want the Spirit of Christ to live his light out through my life, and I want it in all goodness. I'm going to have a generous, I'm going to have a caring, I'm going to have an upright heart toward those people that I interact with. And when you do that, You are the light of the world. The world does not experience that. They don't meet people like that, and they have an opportunity to come into the light when they are in your presence. The next virtue that Paul gives for us is the virtue of righteousness. This is fairness, equity, dealing with others and our circumstances in alignment with God's decreed use. So God has given us all kinds of gifts, hasn't he? But God has given us decreed uses for those gifts. And righteousness means that I am using the things that God has given me rightly aligned with what he wants me to use that for. That's what it means to practice righteousness. Equity, fairness, truth is another one that he gives us here. I I was meditating on this this week, and I came up with a question that I could ask myself to see if I was Walking in righteousness. And I came up with this question that I've been asking myself each morning. Am I using the set of circumstances as a pastor, as a school teacher, as a father, as a husband, as a neighbor? Am I using the set of circumstances that God has given me and the gifts that God has given me, the abilities and the blessings which he has provided, am I using them for what God's created intended purpose was. And if I am, I am walking in the light, in goodness and in righteousness. The next word that he uses is truth. This is the virtue of being forthright, not shading or hedging your words as to appear in a different manner. Truth corresponds to reality. And as light bearers, That's what you and I are supposed to be doing. We take information and we expose it and we bring it forth and we live our life in accordance with what is real. Praise God that I remember the day that I opened God opened my eyes. I was in my bedroom. I was reading through the New Testament, and it was like, God, I I mean, it was supernatural. It's a miracle when God takes something that's dead and regenerates it and makes it alive. And God used the Word of God. He used the Bible. There was nothing mystical. There was nothing, you know, fuzzy or, or, or weird. You might think it was weird that I was reading this Bible as a 17-year-old, but, you know, I, I could not put it down. My grandmother sent it to me, an old Schofield, King James Bible, and it became my beloved friend. And I would read it every night. And I found out who Jesus was. And I fell in love with this mighty Savior. Everybody who came to Jesus walked away different. Everything that they they said about him was true. He's the Messiah. And I was just enthralled. Then I read through the book of Acts, and I said, this thing is, this is dynamic. It's life-changing. And then I started reading the book of Romans. And then I started getting convicted about my sin. And then I came to Romans chapter 10. I'm giving you my testimony this morning. Romans 10, 10. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Christ saved me. And I remember going to school the next day. And I couldn't explain it to my buddies. They thought something was strange with old Patrick Cross because all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. I'd be running with my buddies and I'd talk about Jesus. Something changed. And that's what Paul is saying here. We are speaking truth. I saw reality for the first time. People used to invite me to their the drinking parties on Friday nights, and I wouldn't go because I was an athlete and I thought it would mess up my running. And now I had a better reason. I had Jesus Christ and it exposed. I said, "This is foolishness. Who needs it?" I remember walking out in the woods with a buddy. He pulled out a joint and he says, "Here, have a puff on this." And I told this story before. I said, "No, I found something better." I'm always high. I found Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's the truth, though. The truth corresponds to what is real and certain. It's not subjective. It's not open to speculation, and it's not open to opinion. Jesus Christ is the way, not a way. He is the truth, not your version of truth heard some lady speaking the other day, and she says, I want to tell you my truth. Right away, I turned her off. She ain't got no truth. (laughs) If it ain't this truth, you don't have truth. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And that is the truth that you and I have. That is the light that you and I have. We have righteousness, we have goodness, and we don't have to well it up inside of ourselves. It's a natural byproduct when we submit to Jesus as our Lord and as our light giver. These virtues means that we can test things because you and I have been given light and we have goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now we can test. You you hear something on the internet. You hear some preacher or whatever it is, you now have the ability to test it. Look at the next, next verse. Next verse is verse 10. Finding out, the New King James. I think the old King James says the word proving, doesn't it, Dr. Goers? Proving. I like that word so much better than finding out because that's exactly what that Greek word means. The Greek word is dakamazo. It means to approve or to prove something by test and experience and use. When you take those things, righteousness, goodness, and truth, and you take those things and you test it, you prove it, you will either denounce it or you will approve it. I want to just show you how this Greek word is used. So hold your place there and turn over to First Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to just do a little word study here, a little rabbit trail, but I just want to show you how this word is used and how we can use goodness, righteousness and truth as our screen test to prove and to test what is acceptable to the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter two. I can't talk and turn pages at the same time. I'm going in the opposite direction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse, let me find it, verse 4. Verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but as we have been approved. That's the exact same Greek word as finding out. Paul says, as we have been, dakamazo, as we have been approved by God. God tests, God weighs, God examines. And what does God do after he tests and he examines? He entrusts with the gospel. Then Paul says, even so, in that same way that God tested us, examined us, even so, now we speak, not pleasing men, but God, and here's the exact same Greek word, it's translated a different way here, God who tests the heart. That same Greek word can be translated so many different ways. Finding out, approving, testing. But the idea in Ephesians is the fruit that the light produces in our life is goodness, righteousness, and verity. We take those virtues that God has given us by the power of the Holy Spirit and we can examine everything that we listen to, can't we? We can examine everything that we say. We can examine everything that we put our hands to do, and we can ask ourselves, is this pleasing to God? Because you and I are now light bears for Jesus Christ. So that's our privilege in a nutshell. Now let's go and look at the purpose that God gives light. I want to give you one more thing before we go to that next point, though. I want to just... just just remind us again of how that happens. It's through renewing your mind, isn't it? dakamazo renewing your mind, testing and proving. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord. I'm presenting myself to you a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to God. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may Dakamazo. That you may examine, that you may prove, that you may test what is that good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God. You and I have got to renew our minds to be light bearers. Okay, let's go and look at now what is the purpose of being a light bearer. It's pretty obvious from these verses, isn't it? So let's go back over to Ephesians chapter five, and we're in verse twelve now, I believe, or eleven. I'm not sure. We'll we'll pick it up and find out. Ephesians 5, 11. So what is the purpose? And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. And here it is right here. But rather expose them. That's purpose number one. For it is shameful even to speak of those things that are done by them in secret. What does light do? Light exposes and it shows the frivolousness the emptiness, the hollowness, the shallowness, the deadness that this world has to offer. That's what light does. Verse 13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, and whatever makes manifest is light. One more purpose, therefore, he says, another purpose for the light is to revive people from the dead. We take the light of the glorious gospel to quicken people and to bring them out of their spiritual stupor and to bring them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Those are the two purposes for light. One is to expose, and the other is to bring life to those who are dead in their sin. Light reveals. The Greek word is an incredible word, and I wish we had time to do a full word study of it but it exposes false teaching. That's what light is doing. It means to convince. It means to convict. It means to rebuke, and it means to expose. Verse 11, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose. That word means to convince. Jesus used it in John 8, 29. No, it wasn't twenty nine. I can't remember it's in John 8 somewhere though. He's having this debate with the Pharisees. And he says to them, "Which of you can convince me that I have sinned?" Bring up some evidence. That's one of the way that this that's what this this what we're supposed to do is like we're to convince, we're to bring out evidence, we're to expose. It's also used to convict. John 16:9, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will, elego, same Greek word, he will convict the world of sin. So as light bearers, we convince by truth. We take evidence and we expose it. We convict. We show people where they're wrong. Another way that this word is translated is rebuke. Paul said to Timothy, the time will come where they will not heed sound doctrine. Therefore, preach the word. Reprove and rebuke allegos same greek word and so as light bears this is our job this is what we are supposed to do and an easy way to do it is simply by not partaking in what the world is doing you know you don't have to say anything sometimes and people get convicted i worked in ireland and the irish people have got quite a lovely vocabulary uh, Jordan came home from school. He'd, only, he'd gone to the, the, the Catholic school for one day, and he came home and he's playing with his trucks, banging them together, and he kept saying these swear words. <laughs> he, then one day, the Irish school, and Tracy says, "Jordan, we don't talk like that." He says, "Okay, it's okay, Mom. I'm just speaking Irish." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Irish Ireland was a great place. We learned a lot. <laughs> Another time, Tracy and I invited all of our neighbors to come over. And we played this silly game. What was it, Tracy? Taboo, yes. And it was, oh, the Irish are just there. They're funny people. We were roaring laughing because the women had forgotten, and they put their cards back into the, the deck. And so the, when the men were going to try, get the other guy to say the word, we knew what the words were because the ladies forgot and put them back in. And we were, I mean, we were just chalking up the points. And the Irish guys were roaring laughing. And when we walked out, my next-door neighbor, his name was Fergal. Fergal olachran What a good name, huh? And Fergal says, I have never had so much fun without being drunk. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we never said anything about alcohol. We just don't serve it. We just didn't have it. We didn't have any in the house. And we had so much. And not, we didn't have to say a word. Just by not being a partaker with them, They knew that something was different in our life. And you can be a light bear simply by obeying this little command, have no fellowship. Have no fellowship. We've got nothing in common with them anyway, do we? Our joys are so different. I don't even know who the football players are in America anymore because they took a, a knee and they won't. They're unpatriotic. I, I don't know anything about football, so don't ask me any questions. But I don't even want to partake in it. And maybe that's just my own little rabbit trail. Maybe you guys still love NFL. I don't know. Maybe you'll get right with the Lord and quit watching it. <laughs> 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 but anyway, don't partake with it. That is the greatest testimony, the greatest witness that you can have. Secondly, um Expose works for what they are. What are they called? They are called unfruitful for a reason, aren't they? The things that these things produce is death. You remember that stupid commercial? They were sitting around a campfire, and they're all drinking their Bud Light or whatever, and there's an end of that commercial that, that, that commercial says, and life doesn't get any better than this. How sad. Life doesn't get any worse. You take somebody into the home of an alcoholic. And you expose it for what it really is and what it does to people's lives. You show, Show me who's somebody who's been sexually liberated, so to speak, and they are the most miserable people you will ever find because they are fighting all kinds of disease and they're fighting all kinds of guilt. The number one cause for suicide is those who have been transgenders and find out they can't go back and they wish they could and they know that they made a mistake. Light exposes things. It shows it for it really what it really is and it's unfruitful. It doesn't deliver what it promises. Satan promises you freedom, but what does he do? He brings you into bondage and slavery. And light says, no, this is what it's really like and this is where it's really going to take you. I had a friend tell me that sin keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it takes you farther than you want to go. We need to be exposing it with the light of Jesus Christ and His love for people. Thirdly, exposes means to convent. I've already gone over this already. But the tool that God has ordained is the Word of God. It is sound doctrine. It's faithful Bible teaching, faithful Bible study, faithful Bible preaching. This is what God has ordained to bring exposure. Second Timothy 2 4, preach the word. Be ready at all times, instant in season, out of season. Reprove the same Greek word, elego, reprove. Shed light. And how do you do it? You do it with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come where they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, that's where we're living today, isn't it? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. That you might be blameless and harmless sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And how do we do it? By holding forth the word of life. Titus 1 9. Hold fast to faithful words as thou hast been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, boast to exhort, and here's the same word, and convict those who contradict. That is the way that you and I expose by the word of God. Sin loses its glamour when it's exposed for what it really is. The second purpose of light is to revive the dead. Verse 13 and 14. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake thou that sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, I'm tempted to, to chase a rabbit here because I know that I've got, I've got a little bit of a, a burr under my saddle, and, and I realize it that there is a, a theology that's going around that's very, very popular, and, and it's by godly people. These people that that are espousing this doctrine, they love Jesus. They love the Bible. They are conservative, and they are brothers and sisters in Christ. I just think that they're they're mistaken, and I think the Bible will support that. And and the the doctrine that they are espousing is that an unbeliever cannot come to God unless God first gives them the faith to believe and that may sound very petty and very nitpicky, but it it will change the way that you approach lost people because the Bible tells us that the order of salvation is not that way. The order of salvation is that you give them the gospel in order that they might be alive in Christ. They are not regenerated so as to believe. They believe so as to be regenerated. That is the biblical order, and we need to be clear on that when we present the gospel because that means a lost person is genuinely responsible for what they've heard. You cannot put the onus back on God and say, well, God, you just didn't want me. You didn't want to save me. You blinded me before I ever had a chance. And you didn't give me the gift of faith. Therefore, God, really, it's your fault that I'm an unbeliever. The Bible does not give people that out. The Bible tells us just the opposite. These signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you will have life in his name. That's the order of salvation. There's a veil on unbelievers' hearts. I realize that and I believe that just as much as people in that other can't believe it. But I don't believe that God has to mysteriously, supernaturally reveal that, take off that veil against your will. No, the Bible tells that there's a veil on their heart, but it says when that heart, notice the order, when that heart turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. I didn't understand spiritual things until I bowed my head. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and I'm asking you to come in my life. And then the Bible made sense to me. I didn't sit around and wait and say, okay, God, if you're going to save me, you've got to just change my heart. You've got to just miraculously just make me all of a sudden want these things. No, if you know that you're a lost sinner today, you come to Christ, and Christ will give you life. That's the order of salvation. Everyone is a rebel, but everyone is genuinely responsible. As a sinner, you are helpless to save yourself. But that does not imply that you cannot cry out for help. It is right and it is biblical to call sinners to repent and forsake the path of darkness in order that they might find life. You don't have to wait for some pre-salvation regeneration All you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, Savior, and he is the living God, and he will regenerate you miraculously and instantaneously. The veil on the heart of the unrepentant is removed. Nevertheless, when he turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you're a believer this morning and you say, you know, Patrick, Pastor, I just don't have a desire to pray. I just don't have a real hunger to read the Bible. Are you waiting for God just to guilt you or God to say, you know what, okay, now, boy, I just love to read my, there's days when you don't want to. That's when you obey. That's when you say, okay, I am going to walk as a child of light. I want to close with this passage over in Romans chapter 13. So turn with me to Romans 13 and we'll see what Paul tells us as believers to do with this light. Romans 13:11 and we'll close. And do this. Do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. I don't sit around and wait and say, God, until you change my heart, I'm going to keep talking like this. God, until you change my heart, I'm going to still keep on listening to this garbage. I'm going to keep looking at this trash. No. What does the Bible tell us to do? It says, us, cast off the works of darkness Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, in drunkenness, in lewdness, and in lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You and I have got an incredible responsibility. We've got an incredible privilege God has given you and I a new position. We are light bearers, aren't we? A candle is not lit to put under a bed. It's put on a candlestick so that it can mix, expose everything. What does light do? Light shows the friv- the, the frivolousness of unfruitful works. It shows and th- exposes by truth. The fruit of the Spirit takes things and it examines. We know what is acceptable to the Lord because God has given us that fruit of the Spirit Our other privilege is that we are to persuade people to leave the path of darkness and to plead with people to be reconciled with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and he has given you and I the ministry of reconciliation as though God were pleading through us. Be ye reconciled to God. That's our mission. That's our privilege today as his light bears. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank thank you, Lord, that you speak clearly, that it's not up to us to subjectively come to the Bible but we can objectively examine it for what it says. Father, help us to be faithful to it. Help us, Father, to use it as our medium of light. God, may we stand out. May we just not have anything to do with shameful works of darkness, Lord. May we as light bearers bring exposure, conviction, convince, reprove, rebuke what your truth is, God. And I pray today that we would have confidence, we would have confidence when we share our faith with people that the light that God spoke out of darkness is the same light that speaks into hearts, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and makes the glorious light of the gospel shine on them. We pray this in Jesus' name.